A few years ago, one of the kids in my online coaching program said to me, Coach Rebecca, I wish we could just go to a gym and have you as our coach. We would all be so happy and so confident. And that warmed my heart and I was like, oh my gosh, that would be the best. And that comment stuck with me for years. So now I'm going to do something about it. I am inviting gymnasts from all over the country to join me for the first ever Confident Gymnast Camp this August 3rd and 4th. This camp is all about breaking through mental blocks. So if you're struggling with a skill and you want me and my team to help you break through in real time, then check out confidentgymnast.com for details. So I started when I was five and it was just sort of an after-school hobby. I just loved it. Just a natural performer and sort of a show-off really. So by the time I was nine, a few coaches had approached my mum and said that I was talented and that want me to go to their gym because the gym that I was at was just sort of very basic equipment. We didn't have a full-size floor and I went to Heathrow for a trial and absolutely loved it and didn't look back. Real low moments that still sticks with me to this day. 2010 for the World Championships, I was on the team just before we were going out to compete. I got some sort of stomach bug. I was weak and couldn't do anything in the gym. We had a reserve. It was very obvious to anyone with eyes what should happen. See, I was already disappointed knowing that what was going to happen. But the way that the person in charge told me was just so humiliating. They lined everyone up and had every single one of the personal coaches vote who shouldn't compete. They all had to say my name over and over again. I just felt like my heart breaking and horrible, absolutely traumatizing. Your Olympic journey had so many bumps. So you were the reserve. 2012 for Great Britain. 2016, that's when you had decided Jamaica was going to be your path. You didn't get to compete for Jamaica because somebody else went in that spot. And then 2019, you qualify and then COVID hits. Finally, COVID passes and you are two days before your Olympic debut and you tear your ACL. So I didn't know it was torn. So I was just doing a flip, flip out on the beam. It was a really fast one and it was wonky and I landed on the floor and it, my knee just went a bit funny. I went and got an MRI in the Olympic Village and that's when I found out. Honestly, my jaw dropped. It was definitely the best decision to just go out there and do a few basic skills and finally become the Olympian. Probably every gymnast has had a moment in their life where they feel like, am I even good enough? What's the point? Why am I doing this if I can't fill in the blank? And so what was it that kept you going? Yeah, definitely. The- Hi guys, on today's podcast, I have the pleasure of interviewing Danusha Francis. She was an Olympian, she was a UCLA superstar, and we're talking about the power of setting a vision and having goals so that you can reach your big dream. Here we go. Hi everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. My guest today is a a gymnastic superstar in so many ways. She's an Olympian. She um, was on the elite international stage for two different countries. She was a, a UCLA star, which was one of my favorite um, favorite college teams. Sorry, everybody who's um, not who doesn't have UCLA as your number one. Um, Danusha Francis Reed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I mean, I've just been kind of researching your story over the last couple of days, and there are so many things I want to talk about. Um, But can we first talk about how by age nine, you were willing to move across the country, 100 miles from your family 
just to be a gymnast? I mean, did you know the second you started that this was going to be your thing? How do you, how do you so quickly know, like, I'm going to be an Olympian and I'll do what it, what it takes. I'd love to hear kind of how it all started. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So I started when I was five and it was just sort of an after school hobby for me and my brother and sister, but I just loved it. Like they were ready to leave at the end of the session and I wanted to stay for as long as I could. And I just wanted to learn every skill. I found it so exciting and so fun. So it was definitely just a passion and a love to begin with. Um, And then once I started entering competitions, and I think I loved competitions even more than training and um, just a natural performer and sort of a show off, really. So I just loved being in front of an audience. And then I realized I was also quite good and was actually winning a lot of the competitions. So I think all of that just became part of the sort of well addiction's a strong word but I really loved it like at a young age you yeah I would just want to do gymnastics the whole time 24 7 in my house lining up mattresses trying to learn teach myself skills um yeah so then by the time I was nine I'd done a few competitions and a few coaches had approached uh, my mum and said sort of that I was talented and that um they would want me to go to their gym because the gym that I was at was just um sort of very basic equipment we didn't have a full-size floor and um we didn't get like the new style vaults were just coming in then and we didn't have one for a long time and yeah just like a a small gym so eventually it was obvious that I might have to move on from that club but I was very happy and I was also still very young so my mum was kind of thinking she'll see where I'm at when I get to senior school age which for us is um age 11 to 12 so um that was always the plan from her point of view and I was obviously happy to go along with that but um, when I was nine the gym I was at was based on a university and they were going to demolish it and make it into a car park basically so yeah so that school holidays my mum was driving me back and forth to um, the national centre because I was in a young development squad so they'd kind of made arrangements for me there Um, and then we were kind of looking for a new gym so obviously the coaches that had approached my mum she contacted them and I went to Heathrow for a trial and absolutely loved it and um, they had the partnership with the boarding school so yeah I went to the school and did the entrance exam and just didn't look back <laughs> wow I mean what a leap of faith to take for your yeah. mom I would say too and for you does does she ever I mean I'm sure she's like okay you got your dream this was all worth it but I just can't even imagine I have um, almost nine-year-old I'm like oh my gosh to send her to but to follow her dream I mean, what a what a decision for a mom to make. Does she ever talk about that decision or that being hard or? Yeah, so now sort of being an adult and being older and starting to think about maybe a family of my own one day, um, I see it from a completely different perspective and coaching kids myself, like you said about your daughter or is it daughter or son? Two, I have two girls, yeah, two, eight two, and two five. Girls about your almost nine-year-old I sometimes look at the kids I'm coaching and think wow like that was super young um but yeah so now in recent years we've spoken more about it and she she did actually suffer with some depression and stuff when I had left for boarding school so yeah it makes it seem like an even bigger decision from her point of view but I think when she realized that well she realized every day because I'd be on the phone with her and probably being so excited about what I'd done that day and yeah there was times when I was homesick 
and she'd always say I'll come and pick you up and I, and I would always be like no 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 so, so I think she was probably actually more serious I always thought she was just joking to kind of like motivate me to stay there but I think she was probably genuinely wanting to pick me up when she heard obviously like a young daughter upset but yeah that kind of makes it all the more special in a way because she could have been a bit more I don't know what the right word is I don't know if I want to say selfish but I don't think that's quite the right word but she could have kind of said no this is too hard for me as a parent but yeah she did sort of allow me to follow my dreams like you said and obviously she had no idea what would happen so yeah big leap of faith um and yeah I think now being able to reflect on it from an adult's point of view I appreciate sort of the strength that she had to have as a parent yeah yeah, I mean, that's something I see all the time with the kids I work with. The parent is critical. I mean, I sorry, parents, no pressure. But the way, that, the way that parents support their kids is so important. It's, you know, this balance of not wanting to put pressure, wanting to be supportive, wanting to fix all the bad days. It's, it's a lot. So um, we'll send a, a little extra love to your mama who put, <laughs> who put so much on the line for your dream. It's just, it's yeah. like, what a gift. So, so then everything kind of just took off from there, right? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the smoothest path. No one has a, a smooth path, but you you ended up representing Great Britain in on the elite team and then um, eventually off to UCLA, like I mentioned. I'm a fangirl. <laughs> but what were some of the highlights and lowlights of that, of your elite career pre-college? Um, yeah, so like you said, it was all pretty quick and I think you see a lot of the time in gymnastics when children are talented at a young age um it all start it's all fairly easy to begin with but then once you sort of hit that them teenage years and you're starting to learn those more difficult skills along with school being more difficult that's when sort of some of the fun um is taken away so to speak like you still have that passion and you still do enjoy it but also once you realize you are good or you are now representing whether it's club region or country that element of pressure can also start to take some of the fun away so I think again I was really lucky to have great friends like all of my best friends to this day are from gymnastics and they were like my bridesmaids um last year when I got married so oh now 2024 so two years ago but um yes I think that always helped me to get through some of those hard times um whether it was sort of mental blocks losing skills having a bad competition having an injury um, all of things which happened multiple times over the years. Um, I think to start with the low and I'll end with the high, one of the real low moments that um, still sticks with me kind of like to this day in that I wouldn't want to make anyone feel how I felt in that moment was um, in 2010 for the World Championships, I was, um, I was on the team to start with, sorry. And then um, just before we were going out to compete, I got some sort of stomach bug and so I was vomiting and, and diarrhea sorry for the TMI but um was very very ill um just literally days before we were due to leave and lost all this weight and was obviously really fit already so I was really slim and weak and couldn't do anything in the gym those few days before we left we got out to the world championships and were in the training gyms and still couldn't do anything had literally no strength. Um, even for a few, few months after that, my period stopped. Um, so yeah, it was really like drawn out. And it was clear to myself and everyone that was there that I shouldn't compete. I wasn't ready to compete. Um, and we had a reserve that was flying in from the Commonwealth Games. 
So um, she was on cloud nine. She just won a gold medal and she was on top form and she was training amazingly. So it was very obvious to anyone with eyes what should happen. And that's why you have a reserve, of course. And this was going to be my first um, world championships as a senior. So obviously I was already disappointed knowing that what was going to happen. But the way that the person in charge told me was just so humiliating. They lined everyone up and um, had every single one of the personal coaches um, vote who shouldn't compete so they all had to say my name over and over again including we had two of our coaches there because another of my club mates was also on the team so they both had to say it as well and I just felt like my heart just like breaking and I was I remember I was untaping my foot and I just the tears were just dripping onto the tape and yeah just yeah it was horrible absolutely traumatizing so I remember just getting up thinking like nothing is worth feeling that rubbish for like whether it's your dream or not and just felt like all my hard work to that point to then be treated like that was yeah it was horrible Mm. um but my personal coaches that were there were really good and like helped me through that and obviously I didn't stop gymnastics at that point but it did cross my mind like that was the main time in my career that I felt like I wanted to stop didn't feel worth it um so that would definitely be a low um but in terms of highs Lots of my highs are actually just trips that we went on. Our club took us on a lot of trips growing up. So we went to went to LA twice, which thinking back, that might have been what why I wanted to go to UCLA out of all the other schools. Um, yeah, so when we were there, we went to SeaWorld and Disneyland and we went to South Africa with our gym club. We went on safari and we went to Israel, we went to Jerusalem in the Dead Sea and Canada and we went to um, Niagara Falls. So looking back, it's like all those trips and stuff that I really hold dear and we also had a huge Christmas show that we'd put on every year so it was for an entire week and we do two shows a day and they bring in these West End lights and we do have all costume changes and yeah so as much as the competitions and the accolades um, obviously I'm look back and I'm really proud of those a lot of it's just those fun moments with my friends. Mm, That's so it's really cool to hear that, you know, of course, everyone goes, you know, Denisha Francis, let's look at her list of medals and scores. But that was what really, what you look back fondly on is those, those connections, those relationships. And, and even in your lowest moment, you think about how your coaches helped you through and the the support and the relationships. And, oh, and I think, you know, probably every gymnast has had a moment in their life where they feel like, am I even good enough? What's the point? Why am I doing this? If I can't, fill in the blank and so what was it that kept you going was it the people the relationships was it something else yeah definitely the people if I'm honest um always my mum like always there phone call away whether it was from LA and she's in bed and I'm waking her up with the time difference or it's um after a competition and she's been in the audience and it hasn't gone my way so yeah she's always been there and it's kind of that feeling that if I did say to my mum, that's it, I want to quit today. Um, or if I did say to her, I'm going to carry on till I'm 40. I think either way, she'd be like my biggest fan and cheering me on the whole time. So that feeling of like, I can never let her down, even when I felt like I'd let myself down because I hadn't competed like I wanted to. Like There was not one glimmer of disappointment from her when it came to that um, like gymnastics and results. It was always like, you tried your best, well done. Um, yeah, and I'd say the same for my coaches. Obviously, it's different when it's your mum and you've got that um, mother-daughter relationship. But also with the coaches, like 
in the gym as long as you were showing up with a good attitude and trying your best like they would also do the same and um, would also allow us to have fun which is something I especially look back on now um, that I'm grateful that my coaches did allow that element of fun. Hey guys, quick announcement break. Right now, we at Complete Performance Coaching are looking for five athletes who are ready to break through their mental blocks for good. If that sounds like you or your child, then sign up for a free consultation call with one of my amazing coaches as soon as possible to see if you're a good fit for our Perform Happy Elite training program. This program includes one-on-one coaching with the world's top mental performance coaches, plus tons of support for athletes and their parents in between sessions. You can sign up today at completeperformancecoaching.com slash consult. Talk to you soon. Mm. Well, and that's something that I I want to hear more of, you know, high-level athletes who had fun, who had fun, who had coaches that allowed it to be fun. Was that always your experience throughout your throughout your training? Did you always have coaches who made it fun? Did you ever have moments where the coaches sucked the joy out of it at all? I mean, you don't have to put anybody on the spot here, but what was the culture like throughout your training and what and what impact did that have on you? Yeah. Well, it's, I always feel a bit like guilty when I answer this question because genuinely I've had good coaches my whole career. So like my very first gym club, they were great. And I think um, being a talented gymnast in such a small gym at that time, they were re- all really excited and loved like throwing me into crazy skills and seeing what I could do kind of thing. So um, I look back on that time with a really big fondness and anytime I cross paths with anyone, um that was part of that gym it's always hugs and smiles and then the gym that I was predominantly at from age nine until um 2021 after Tokyo um that's where we did all the Christmas shows and we went on the trips and obviously there was times when you know you're training 25 hours a week there's times when you're gonna annoy your coach or you're gonna maybe you're not trying your hardest for whatever reason and they might have yelled at me over the years um but in terms of however many years that is 20 something years that I was at that gym um yeah really really feel grateful for my experience my coaches and not even just the coaches but the whole gym was really a nice um environment and then to go off to UCLA and feel um a similar type of environment there where it was all about the team and I really learned a lot about competing there obviously with the different style in competitions um in college and then yeah, I felt like I learned a lot about myself in that time, um, even though it's really team orientated because you want to be your best self for the team. You almost have to look inward, um, which was really, really great. And then coming back to Heathrow as an adult and training with lots of gymnasts a lot younger than me um, was really enjoyable to kind of like share my wisdom with them, be their big sister. And again, like friends for life with all of them, even though there was such a big age gap. Hmm, that. So, okay, what were some of the things that you learned about yourself at UCLA? You said you had to go in. What were what were those big revelations that, that maybe changed you for the better? Oh, yeah. So I'd say kind of being able to embrace what my strengths were um, and bring those to the forefront of my gymnastics and also life in general. But um, I think within GB, 
Well, my coaches were quite good in that I did have some personal style and some personal skills, but maybe it's within sort of like the FIG code. It's harder to be a bit more of an individual. Um, so that was just quite exciting to think, what are my strengths and work with the coaches to figure those out and put them into routines. Um, and then I think kind of like believing in your goals to an, the next level. I really realized at UCLA sort of like, writing vision boards and writing things down, saying them out loud. Um, it all felt a bit like almost cringy to me beforehand. And then after UCLA, I was all about that. And I did that towards chasing my Olympic dream for the third time in the Tokyo cycle. And it all really fell into place. Um, and I definitely credit UCLA for that. Um, what else? And I think just also learning how to be a teammate and then also a leader. Um, was two huge things that um, are takeaways from my college career, definitely. Mm. So I have vision boards all up around me. <laughs> I have my affirmations and my vision boards and all. I've always been, you know, the the vision board nerd ever since I did one and it worked. Yeah. I was hooked. I mean, yeah. I would look at it and be like, oh, I just cut my hair the way that that random person on my vision board is. And I, you know, it was these little sort of these little breadcrumbs of, oh my gosh, this is sinking in what's on here. Yeah. And putting things on there that I didn't even think were possible and then yeah. kind of noticing them just starting to fall into place. So for anyone who does not know what a vision board is, what's your process? What do you recommend if somebody wants to give it a shot in 2024? Oh, that's a good question. I think it is quite personal. So some people are the type to print off pictures or cut pictures out of magazines um, if you want it to be more visual. Um, I am quite a visual person, but for my vision boards, I more have... Uh, lists and I have um I like it to be colorful so things are kind of in sections um I sometimes add a few like stickers and stuff to jazz it up but it's mine essentially is a cork board and then like different colored bits of paper with different areas of my life on um and things I want to achieve um it's it's interesting because it's hard a little bit harder for me now than when I was doing gymnastics because there's such a structure to I want to do this competition and I want to perform this skill whereas now in life everything's a little bit less um measurable I guess would be the word um so I still I need to do a vision board for 2024 um and I think I'm gonna try to sort of go back to that same process of um like making more detailed goals if that makes sense I think over the stopping gymnastics it's been harder to yeah be specific but I think like you said when you are specific and then they come true you get this feeling of like oh my gosh this is powerful yeah, yeah. well and I even like the process of you know find a stack of magazines wherever they even exist in in magazine form you know on on the uh, like the message boards you know neighbors getting rid of magazines and then I'll just kind of go through and let my intuition guide and I'll just pull out pictures that I resonate with and I don't ask why. And I sort of will just kind of pull out a whole stack of things that I'm drawn to. And then I'll sort again and sort again until I'm down to sort of the, the ones that really call to me. And like one of them said the graduate at one point, and I had, I had given up on college, but the graduate like called to me and I put it on the board and was like, what really? And then next thing I know, I'm back at school. It's like those things, I, I feel like the intuition can really be a fun part of that process too. Hey, kind of, I might you know, your book and try yeah, that. Yeah, if you're sort of like, where am I headed? Especially if there's any yeah. athletes who are, you know, retiring, 
it's kind of cool to go, well, what is next here? What, yeah. where am I called in this world? So yeah, that's, that's kind really of really cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And then I, and then I think like, Oh, that's on my board. Okay. This must be a go. It's I, this, yeah. is, this must be the choice to make here. I don't know. Yeah, I think the other thing to mention is that there's not a right or wrong way. You could do both those methods. You could, like you said, you can have multiple boards. Um, yeah. So you could have one like that and um, one that's more lists or combine the two. So I think that's also kind of like the special thing to do. And when I was getting really specific um, in 2019, leading up to the world championships, which would qualify me to the Olympics, um, I was rewriting some certain bits that were coming up shortly and like putting them on my mirrors and places where I'd see them more often. Um, and I would try to make a point of saying them out loud when I would see them, whether it was in the mirror or wherever I'd put it. So yeah, I think, yeah, you feel a bit strange in it at first, but then you just, you just get used to it. And then when it comes to you, like it was all worth it. <laughs> yeah. But well, my kid will walk in and read my affirmations and he'll go, why do you have that? Why do you say that? That's weird. I'm like, that's mine. You know, I get to write that on my board if I want to. <laughs> What's an example of one of the ones that you had on your mirror? One of the ones that you said over and over? What, like, what was one of your specific ones you can remember? So obviously the huge one that year was to qualify for the Olympics. Um, but also that year, they were mainly all my gymnastics ones. Um, and one that was really cool was the Pan American Games. So that was, I think, around September that year. So then the Worlds was... October something like that they were pretty close together but um for the Pan American Games I said that I wanted to be um an all-around and beam finalist and um yeah both of them came true like they were possible in terms of like my level of gymnastics but I think where you have no control over your competition and like everyone might have been amazing that day um so I think for those two to come true really made me think okay like moving on into worlds that I can do this um yeah, so I think those two and the timing of it being just like a couple of months apart, um, yeah, was like really special and really made me believe even further in sort of vision boards and goals and affirmations. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, so your your Olympic journey had so many bumps. Oh my goodness! So you were the reserve in 2012 for Great Britain, and you didn't compete, and then. 2016, that's when you had decided Jamaica was going to be your path, right? And and I've actually had Tony Ann Williams on the show before. So I I was reading that you didn't go to you didn't get to compete for Jamaica because somebody else went in in that spot and that was Tony Ann and hooray for her. But then here you are, you almost went to the Olympics twice. And then 2019 you qualify and then COVID hits. It's like, did you just go like oh my gosh what is happening to my journey yeah I remember the day finding out like it was obviously sort of pending pending we all knew something was going to have to happen with the Olympics and um I remember the day finding out it was postponed by the year and thinking maybe it just wasn't meant to be for me like not in a kind of like negative way but just thinking you know what I qualify and that was like the main thing but kind of like having these thoughts of like come on it's like so many things have happened now but I remember going to the supermarket and I bumped into a guy who did boxing for Great Britain that I knew and um, he'd obviously found out the news on the same day and then it was just a weird coincidence that we bumped into each other and I think it was such a weird mix of emotions it was so um, meant to be that I bumped into someone that was going through the exact same thing because also what are the chances I, I don't think I've ever bumped into him before <laughs> 
he does live nearby but like I never bump into him so it was just nice to them we both talked it out and you could we could both feel that we were just had the same frustration and sort of disappointment and like also questioning like how are we going to be able to do this for another year and yes I think even though it was such a minute and don't know if it meant anything to him that encounter but it just did give me that little bit of like okay don't feel too sorry for yourself you're not the only one going through this you can do this like I think it really just gave me that little push of motivation like it's one more year you can do this like worst things are happening in the world um and if you don't get to go again like worst things are happening in the world so it's just like that perspective um yeah so I'll always be grateful for that little chat in the supermarket that day because it did give me a little bit of motivation and just like feeling less alone in that space of worry or disappointment or whatever you want to call it yeah well it's such a great example of practicing self-compassion there's a researcher Kristen Neff who teaches self-compassion and I think in gymnastics it's we're not the most self-compassionate folks (laughs) we are we're like harder more again 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 and so to like the this little self-compassion break she teaches about is is to go, first of all, acknowledge, wow, this is hard. This feels very hard. And then the second step is, I'm not the only one suffering to open up your perspective and realize exactly like you said, there are worse things happening in the world. And then the final piece is to talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend. Like, okay, we're going to, this is going to be okay. We'll get through this. Whatever's supposed to happen happens, which then gives you this new platform of resilience that you can go try the next thing, whatever it is. So such a beautiful example of that, that when, when things are so hard, you can connect with other people and regroup and be okay moving forward. Yeah. And it is a strange thing, which I really did appreciate about doing gymnastics um, as an adult was that you had such a broader perspective than when you're a child and like for when you are a child you maybe have an injury it probably is the worst thing you've actually been through in your life so far but then when you become an adult and you go through a lot more ups and downs and highs and lows and you you realize what else is going on in the world and even just for other people in your life um yeah it just it just seems a lot more trivial <laughs> and, it, and you realize it's just sport and I think that's an important thing to remember yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and you could say that to your 2010 self who yeah. was crumbling under the heartbreak of not going to worlds. Then you, now you can look back and go, oh, you have a whole 11 more years of this. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. <laughs> this is just a little bump. So then it, finally COVID passes and you are two days before your Olympic debut and you tear your ACL. Oh, I no. mean, <laughs> it, so I didn't know it was torn um, at all. Like it was just, we did a um, intra squad, like a practice competition at my gym and it went so well. Like when I say I literally didn't even wobble, I didn't even have a flex foot. Like I was like, wow, like I'm so ready for the Olympics. Like this couldn't be any more perfect to just give me that boost of confidence. The next time I compete my routines, it's going to be in Tokyo. This was great kind of thing. Um, and then the next day after that, I think, obviously, having not competed, um, I think I did one competition in that whole year and then that practice competition. But obviously, compared to normal years, I hadn't competed much. Um, so I was really exhausted the next day. But I think where I timed it, I had to train that day because then I was going to have a day off before flying, something like that. Um, so then I'm in the gym and I'm thinking, oh, I'm tired. And I even said to my friend, oh, I might just do some conditioning today. 
And then we were just chatting. I was like, actually, no, I'll, I'll do it, like one routine on each piece or just a little bit of training because I just felt like I had to. But when I look back, I'm like, no, you didn't have to. Look how ready you were the day before. But so now I look back, obviously, with hindsight, there's nothing you could do about it. But yeah, when I look back, that's a lesson I would like to share for other people is like, listen to your gut. But it's, it's an annoying one because there's been other times and I've not listened to my gut. And so sometimes it's hard in the moment. But anyway, um, yeah, so I was just doing a flick, flick layout on the beam and it was a really fast one and it was wonky and I landed on the floor. Well, I had one leg on the beam and then sort of fell off onto the floor and it, my knee just went a bit funny, but it didn't swell up and it didn't even really hurt. But I just knew something was a bit off. So we didn't do anything else on it that day. But and I just felt a little sense of panic because I was like, that didn't feel right. But again, like no bruising, no swelling. And I, anyone else I've ever seen over the years that's torn an ACL, it's been like excruciating. They've had swelling, they've had bruising, they've you've heard it a lot of the times. And yeah, you can tell something's really wrong. So I was like thinking that nah, it's not that. And I know the knee's complicated too. So I just thought, yeah, probably a bruised a bone or something. Anyway, so we get out to Tokyo, training on it. But every few goes, I'd do something and it would give way. So now when I look back, I think every time it was sort of giving way, it was actually tearing a bit more. So probably the first time I actually did it back at my club was probably like five or something percent torn, like hardly anything, but not realizing and not even being in pain. I think that I just kept tearing it, kept tearing it. Then I think the one that did hurt the most was um, on podium training in the warm up gym. I did a dismount off the bars. And at that point, we decided only to do bars. And I hadn't done any dismounts without my coach till that day because I was going to go and present it to the judges. Both him and I were like, oh, just do one out here just to, you know, be sure like that you're all right. Um, and then it um, really did hurt that one. So then we went out to podium training. I'd iced it a bit while I was waiting for the um, warm up to finish. Um, and we just didn't do a dismount on the one in podium training. But at that point, I think it would have been at least like 90% torn. <laughs> um and the next day I went and got an MRI in the Olympic Village and that's when I found out um and I'm honestly my jaw dropped and when I was in there I was on I was by myself but when they were going to give me my result they asked if my coach could join me um so I was like oh it's a bit strange um thinking like obviously I'm an adult but obviously I just called him and he came and he was like is it bad news I was like I don't think so <laughs> and then little did I know it was um so it was just crazy you can't write these things <laughs> no I mean just one one wave after another and then you decided you were going to be an Olympian right so you so you guys got creative and what did you end up doing <laughs> yeah so it was weird because to that point I was still going to do a whole bar routine but without my dismount because I'd just done that the day before so I was like to my coach that's what I want to do and he was kind of like are you sure are you sure and I'm like yeah I've just done it so we went into training the next day could have been the same day but anyway but I think then knowing that um it was torn even though I'd just done it the day before having that thought in my head I did actually manage to do all of my skills but it was just that worry of like you know you can still cast over even if you're at you're an Olympian and you're at the Olympics um and then you might land funny and you might make further damage so then it was kind of like a group decision with uh the Jamaican Federation with um, my coach we also called my other coach at home and my mom and like had this meeting so it wasn't really decided till on the day the morning of like exactly what I was going to do and it was all a bit stressful um, but yeah I think looking back I definitely think I'm really glad everyone spoke to me and told me not to do that full routine because with the adrenaline and everything 
and if something had gone wrong on TV and at the Olympics, it would have tainted the whole experience. So yeah, I think it was definitely the best decision to just go out there and do a few basic skills, get a score on the board for myself and for Jamaica and finally become an Olympian. I mean, I, I always tell people, you never know how your dream will come true. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a, such a great example of that, that you, you did, you reached your dream. You are an Olympian. You, you know, you qualify for the Olympics. You, well, more than once, you know, as a, <laughs> as a reserve. So little, you know, nine-year-old you gets to say it, it was worth it. But let's say even, even if you hadn't just, just if if you had been so close and hadn't made it, would it have all been worth it to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was difficult to sort of go for it the third time round, but I think what made it a little bit easier for me personally was so for Great Britain um, the first time and then the second time for Jamaica was that um, we were getting selected, so to speak. So for the Great Britain team and then for 2016, Jamaica was able to decide who went. But for 2020 was if I got the if I competed well at the World Championships and got a high enough score, then I was going. So I think having full control over it and then if I didn't make it, it was just down to I tried my best, but it didn't work. Um, sat better with me than knowing that I could try my best and be good enough and then maybe not get to go. So I think that was definitely part of the reason why 2020 would have been a good decision for me either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you could trust that it was based on your effort rather than yeah. someone's whim in some office. Somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And that's not to like put the selectors in any, any type of light, um, each their own, but yeah, I think having that full control, especially obviously them being an adult and knowing how hard I needed to push, how hard I could push, um, how much time I could train. Um, yeah, I think I just needed to do that for myself, um, just to try my best, give it one more shot and kind of be content with the outcome regardless. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's an amazing story regardless um, of just overcoming and resilience and determination. And and I, I've talked to other Olympians who they all seem to have this sort of this why, this vision, this I am going to the Olympics, hell or high water. And so I'm curious, like if you wanted, you wanted to um, inspire the, the young kids out there, what do you recommend as far as like coming up with that vision or that dream? How, how can they kind of lock into their own dream, whether it's the Olympics or something else, any advice for kind of helping create that vision for yourself as a young athlete? Oh, yeah, I like that question. Um, I recently did a talk and I was deciding how to sort of frame it because it was with school pupils. Um, and so obviously they're not all into gymnastics or even just into sport. So I was just, when I was thinking about it, I thought, how can I sort of reach out to all these kids? And I said to them that if there's anything they're passionate about, even if it's not something traditionally that would work out for them, in terms of like whether it's being like a doctor or sort of a traditional path to take then just do that thing and you never know where it will take you and that's the same with gymnastics like obviously my dream was the olympics but in just loving gymnastics and training it and also the stuff i spoke about with ucla being able to um really play to my strengths and then um yeah all of these things have allowed 
so many other opportunities to come into my life and that's like now shaped obviously me as a person but kind of like what I'm doing today so um yeah I think if you're passionate about something then you're meant to do it and you should do that thing like don't let anyone tell you it's not worth it because you don't know where that's going to take you and even if you think of like jobs nowadays there's some jobs that when I was young didn't exist so it's like if you love that thing you can probably make it into a career and if it doesn't end up actually being your career or your money maker if it makes you happy then it's worth it absolutely that makes me think of my little brother I I used to say to him because my dad was very much don't do anything for a job you wouldn't do for free and it's easy to go, okay, sure. You know, yeah. what does that even mean? How do you do that? And so my brother, all he wanted to do was play video games and draw. And I was like, <laughs> you can't, you can't just play video games and draw. And now he is an influencer on Twitch playing video games. He sells his art. It's like, okay, boy, was I wrong. That's exactly what he does for a living. All I wanted to do was help kids overcome fear in gymnastics. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. I mean, it's, you really can, you can do the yeah. thing you're passionate about and it, and it sort of can unfold in front of you. I mean, yeah. And like both of those, like you said, you wouldn't have thought they could be your actual job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My husband's always like, Oh, my wife has this made up job where she helps 12 year old gymnasts go backwards on the beam. And so random, you know, it's like, that's, that's literally what I do. Cause that's the thing I couldn't do when I was that age. Yeah. And, and that's also your calling as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you could go back and give a little bit of advice to that 12 year old you, um, you know, what would, what would be the biggest bit of advice that would kind of help smooth the path a little bit? Oh, that's a really good question. I think. Well, I think like in terms of you saying about going backwards on the beam, um, I think I would just tell myself to be like, just relax, like you will get it back. Like it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but you will get, because it was usually like you had the skill, then you you lost it. And same for me. Um, it was, it's always the backhands ring. Well, mine was flicked out on the beam. And I remember like loads of my friends as well. We'd all lose it at the same time. And <laughs> yeah, um, so it would just be, yeah, just like relax, you'll get it back. Um, and and for now just just do what you can kind of thing and it sounds so simple but that's kind of what I tell my gymnasts that I coach now it's like don't worry or great if you can do it on the floor or on the low beam whether it's beam um, go and do that like we're not competing right now and even if we are you don't have to do it in the competition like just relax Yes. Oh, I want every coach to be like you. <laughs> it would just make it so much easier that there's no stress or shame or yeah. pressure that if it's not working today, what can you do? Okay, go do that. And we'll get back and we'll try it again tomorrow. Yeah. And it will come back. As well, <laughs> like the now. Yeah. Like as a coach, like the worst thing that I could see would be if a child was going to hurt them hurt themselves but especially if I had something to do with that so if I'm pushing someone that is scared and then they kind of like freaked out and hurt themselves then like that's on my conscience so mm -hmm. kind of like as a coach I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that either so I think as a coach relax as well and it will happen um obviously you've got to find that balance sometimes you might have to be a little bit more sort of like no you can do this um and as long as you know they're safe um mm -hmm. yeah overall just you know calm <laughs> yeah those loving nudges out of their comfort zone when you know yeah. it's time and you believe in them and that that's important too because left to your own devices the brain is going to stay on low beam forever 
I don't ever want to go on the high beam again. You know, I never did, but then to have a coach that really believes in you has seen you put in the numbers. Yeah. It's time. Let's try. Yeah. And I think as well now as a coach, I also realize like that, well, different gymnasts respond to different things. So some like you can almost say, well, if you do it, then you can go on the trampoline for five minutes or like whatever it might be. <laughs> <a little bit laughs> of bribery. <laughs> um, whereas some it's like, you know, they'll just need uh, you to put your hand on their back for the first few and then they'll be fine. So it's just also trying to just work with them um, and just, yeah, figuring out what works for each individual. And that also goes for yourself, like figuring out as a gymnast what works for you. Yes. And being able to communicate that. Yeah. You can't read minds. So as a coach, yeah, even if you've been there, I was the kid who had the mental blocks and I was the coach who was getting frustrated because I couldn't help the kid. It's it's so hard. So, so the athletes also have to participate and go, you know what, coach, I don't feel safe right now on the high beam. Can I, can I back it down a step? 100%. Yeah. And and then as a coach, because obviously sometimes for the gymnast, it might be hard for them to communicate or ask these questions because they're obviously scared of the skill. Um, but they might also just be a bit worried about the coach's reaction. So if, as a coach asking them questions, would it help if you have the mat on? Would it help if you go into the pit? So just making sure you offer these suggestions up in case they haven't thought to ask or they're worried to ask. Yeah. Yes. That's, oh, that's gold. I mean, it's not, it's simple. Like you said, it's pretty simple. You just be patient, find out what they need, create an environment where they can communicate with you. It's a collaboration I mean, every, every Olympian I've talked to has had a mental block in their life. It's you're not broken. If this happens, it's just part of the process. And then the athletes who had great communication with their coaches are the ones who got through it more smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. Just allowing, um, gymnasts to take it at their own pace. Um, it's hard if you're in a group where everyone's learning the same skill, there's that pressure. Um, but just trying to make sure the gymnasts know like, okay, you might get that skill a bit slower than someone else, but you might get that skill faster than everyone else. So it's like, yeah, making sure they know they're an individual and it's not a race, training, mm-hmm. not a competition. Um, yeah, I remember having mental blocks um, and just having to really take it baby steps to get it back. Um, so on the bars was the shoot down to the low bar. I couldn't do it unless my coach was stood there. And I think it was, he wasn't going to be coming to the next competition some and different coach was so um I was doing it with the mat over the bar and then we would move it like a centimeter at a time until like one hand was on the mat one hand was on the bar and keep moving it and the bar would literally be on the wires and for the first day that took me probably like 30 goes and then the next day 28 until eventually <laughs> I could just go straight away onto the bar <laughs> yeah. so just your time being patient as well and also feeling like you're succeeding because some, yeah. you know, the perfectionists will think that they're failing until the mat is gone. Somebody yeah. who's got a growth mindset will, will know that they're succeeding with every sentiment, centimeter of movement with that mat, Yes, like, that you get excited and you're proud and you know that you're on the right track and you're being patient. Yeah. So, yeah and again, looking from the coach's perspective of that is like, yeah, you did it. Like high five them when the mat's on and each, each centimeter. Um, yeah. Like you said, growth mindset. And I think celebrating like little wins because those are going to get you to those bigger ones. Absolutely. Oh, Danusha, I could chat with you all day. I am. Uh, this has been so wonderful. If people want to, you know, follow along with you, um, what's the best way for them to find you? 
um, on social media at Danusha Francis um, and on my website, danushafrancis.co.uk. Um, yeah, always open for DMs or um, or anything really. So yeah, that's probably the best way. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. It's been really Thank a wonderful you so much pleasure. Thank you Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. If you're ready to unlock your maximum sport potential, head over to performhappy.com and join us. You'll be training alongside world champion athletes and Olympic hopefuls. And I will personally take you through my research-based system for overcoming fear and mental blocks, building confidence, and finding your flow. I'm coach Rebecca Smith, and I'll see you next time.